Alright guys, welcome back to Like Minds Podcast, an open journal for creatives and entrepreneurs. I am Josh Allen. As always, I am joined by my good friend Adam Davis. That's right. And for those of you out there uh, who do not listen to our podcast on YouTube, you can definitely go and show your support for us by going to YouTube and subscribing to the Like Minds YouTube channel, or the Like Minds Podcast YouTube channel. And for those of you guys who do watch us uh, on a weekly basis on YouTube, definitely subscribe to us. We, we enjoy your support and we're hoping that we can bring you guys some value. Today we talked to one of my friends, Jake Shario. He works at a startup company in Chicago. So we got to get a little bit about what it's like to work at a startup. And we got into the value of networking and how networking can be a really integral part of working at a startup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we talked about that. Talk a little bit about what Jake's been doing during the quarantine. Obviously, that's just something you get into it. I, I hadn't met Jake previous to this. So, you know, when you're catching up with people or meeting new people, the, the topic just comes up. How, how have you been handling uh, the shutdown? It's the most relevant thing right now. But, uh, but that's not all we talk about, obviously. We get into a lot of different things. I think you guys are going to enjoy this one. I enjoyed meeting Jake. Uh, it was great having him on. Uh, and yeah, I think you guys are going to enjoy listening to him as well. So let's go ahead and get right into it. All right, guys, welcome back to Like Minds Podcast. Today we have a very interesting guest. His name is Jake Shario. Uh, Jake, you and I actually met. I'd say it was, what, six months ago at this point at a startup networking event. How are you doing today, man? It's good. It feels like six years ago now, just uh, the way the world's changed, right? I know, <laughs> but, man. A lot of, yeah, a lot I of, guess it's only been six months. For sure. Um, so one of the things that we found interesting and kind of one of the themes we've been going with here on the Like Minds podcast is really just delving into entrepreneurship and uh, startups and what it's like to work at startups. So... You obviously work at a startup. Can you tell me a little bit about your uh, current position and the company that you currently work for? For sure. So uh, one of the so a startup that I work for right now is called Aeropay. Uh, we came out of the 1871 uh, Innovation Incubator here in Chicago with the Merchandise Mart. Uh, our CEO, Dan Muller, was actually one of the first uh, came out of one of the first cohorts, either the first or second uh, cohorts for the Latinx incubator program uh, in 2017, I believe. And I think we, he actually won it. Uh, there's a competition at the end, uh, basically. And to everyone votes for the best out of that cohort. And I think he either got first or second. Uh, maybe it's time I should commit to memory, but but yeah, it's it's been pretty impressive. It's uh, definitely one we've we've gotten our fair share of good pub in in Chicago, and, and yeah, I guess even before that, uh, I've been living in Chicago for four and a half years now, and and I came here originally uh, to to work for like a, a big multinational. But even before that, before. Uh, you know, 2016, I'd worked pretty much exclusively as startups and SMEs. So getting back into the startup world is a little bit more my speed, I guess you could say. Currently, what is your, uh, what is your position? What do you do for the startup you're at? Hmm. Yeah, so originally I got hired to 
um, start their community ambassador program, uh, focusing on the Hispanic market in Chicago, because I, for the previous two and a half years, I think it was, or no, really just two years, I've been working in Latin America, uh, traveling up and down the region, working with, but, but more on like the enterprise level. So working with these big brands like General Mills or, uh, you know, even the big regional brands like, uh, what's, I'm trying to think of it. It's just not, it's on the tip of my tongue. Grupo Lala in Mexico or, um, uh, yeah, but you get the picture, like the big Mexican mm -hmm. or big Argentinian, big Colombian brands. And, and now, so recently my role has changed. So funny you asked, it's changed within the last couple of weeks because we are growing. Uh, we're getting into some new states uh, in the Midwest and also uh, in the West Coast and Southwest region. So uh, I am kind of taking on our account management, customer success uh, department and kind of leading that. So it's, uh, the, it's been a lot of change, uh, which, gotcha. is, which is the startup world in a nutshell. For mm -hmm. sure. So, so what exactly does the company you work for, Aeropaid, do? Yeah. Uh, that's, that's a great question, right? It's probably the most important one. So we, uh, we're a payment software company. So we um, started out helping uh, small Main Street type businesses uh, reduce the fees that they incur in processing non-cash payments. Uh, so that used to mean credit cards, debit cards, and then now it's expanded, right? And so now you can pay with your phone, you can pay through mobile apps. So that's how we started. We built a mobile app uh, that allowed <clears throat> customers to pay you know, their, their neighborhood businesses. Uh, and we've sort of pivoted a little bit, especially recently. Uh, that's still gonna be a core focus of ours is, is building that community ecosystem and and really getting everyone to, to to interact that way. But we've also started to launch our online and B2B payment systems uh, and really start partnering with, with new industries uh, and new new types of companies, which is really exciting. Interesting. Yeah. So uh, how did you get involved with, uh, with startups in the first place? And it seems like, I think you and I have talked before, you, you've worked at more established companies in the past. That's, that's correct, right? Yeah. So, uh, like multinationals. Yeah. Like, yeah. So, so how, how did you make the transition from a, a multinational company like that to getting into a startup? And what were some of the reasons as to why you wanted to do that? Uh, I mean, I, it was kind of easy because I already knew what the world was like uh, you know, before I joined like a big market research firm, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, so I was already familiar with how fast you had to go with like how resourceful you had to be at a startup, how scrappy you had to be. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was, wasn't that big of a transition. Uh, I'd say the bigger transition was before going into the first, uh, that first big company, you know, big office, hundreds of people. You know, they got, you know, the whole Microsoft Office suite. Like, I didn't even know how to really use Outlook uh, mm -hmm. until three, four years ago. I was, like, sending people meeting invites. Like, I didn't know. I thought you just sent them an email. Like, hey, I'll meet you at 12, right? Like, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. So that was completely new to me, and that was an adjustment. And I didn't really like it. So um, 
you know, I actually went to a competing market research firm because it was more responsibility, more money and, and more travel. And, and that was kind of cool. Uh, but it's still, it was, it was like the same job, but just busier. So uh, fortunately there was this startup AeroPay that I came across. Um, I, don't, I don't know if it was on like LinkedIn or Indeed or, or word of mouth or something, but um and yeah, you know, just vibed with with the with the team there, and it it they they kind of gave me the freedom to do what I wanted to do, but not like what I wanted to do, but like here are our goals. You know how to get us to these goals? Yeah. Okay. Well, we're gonna trust you, and you got a short leash. And luckily, I kind of just kept on proving myself, kept on proving myself that you know my methods were working, and and so it, I guess it it wasn't too big of a transition to just kind of sum up and, and address your point directly. Gotcha. And uh, so you said your, your roles at Aeropath have changed a little bit uh, over the past couple months or so, but originally you had some influence because you, you can speak Spanish, correct? Yeah. Is, is that, so, so I know that you spent some time abroad in Spain, was it Spain? Yep, in Spain. Did, did you did you spend all of uh, your college years abroad, or was it like a or two years? I can't remember exactly. It was pretty much all. I actually did a studies abroad semester at the at my local community college back home in Seattle. <laughs> so, Interesting. Uh, that was my study abroad year or study abroad <laughs> semester, uh, and then the the other the rest of the three and a half four years whatever I did out there. I stayed out there a few more years, actually got a job with a company out there and they sent me to South Africa. They sent me to Tanzania. I did that for a year and then came back to Madrid and, and lived there and actually started my own business. My last, what was it, year, year and a half that I was there, a friend of mine, uh, you know, we just, we, I don't know, it was kind of weird. We were just in the club talking and we were like, yeah, you know, this was cool, but you know, all this money that we spend, all, all the money that this guy spends on a bottle, like we can honestly like put a business together and experiment and try to make our money make money, you know? And I was like, shit, mm-hmm. that's, that's exactly true. Like this, we've done this for years already. Like there's nothing to be gained at this point by going to the same clubs and doing the same things, just different times of the day, different people around. But, uh, so yeah, that was, that was an adventure. It's something I highly suggest. If you have an idea, to, that you think you could put into practice uh, and, and make some money off of, why not try it out? Especially if you're young, you know, uh, you got, if you got safety nets, uh, why not? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, did you, so did you grow up in Seattle? And then uh, another question on growing up, uh, where did you get like the entrepreneurial interest and the interest in working for startups and, and things like that and 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 you started your own business so you're out you're interested in being an entrepreneur as well yeah uh i guess i just yeah i did grow up in seattle first off and i think i i always like the freedom um i've always been kind of self-reliant i guess i've always kind of for better or worse really tried to not put my woes on other people or like try to involved too many people in in helping me get to where I want to go, which I think is not the best way to go about reaching your goals, I would say, as you get older. But uh so I just always kinda but but always having that about me, I always felt comfortable like going out on a limb on my own. 
so that's what I did when I was 18. And, and uh, you know, I, I tried working for people uh, when I came back home for a little bit after I graduated college. And, and I don't know, like, I just, I was like, I think I could do this. I think, especially when I went to South Africa, like I, so I was working for a media company and it was, it was really cool. We, we would go down to these emerging economies, these developing countries, hence Tanzania, South Africa, but also Philippines, Malaysia, uh, Nigeria, you know, Latin American countries, teams all over the world. And we talk with these, the most successful people in business in that country and also politicians, uh, ministers. Like I even went to the president's house in South Africa. Uh, it was kind of cool. I interviewed, I'm, I'm not going to say she was the first lady because she was one of five wives. So like one of, one of the first ladies, like, I don't know, like what, but anyways, like one of the president's wives, it was kind of cool. So what I was saying is like, I'm talking with all these people for a living, just interviewing them. That was my job is to interview them and gather content for these reports that we would publish. Uh, it was kind of yellow journalism to be honest or brand journalism. If you, if, uh, you know, you follow, uh, the industry a little bit, um, and just kind of painting these countries in a positive light, which I think had some merit to it. But anyways, talking with people at the top level of, of their respective societies was just kind of an inspiration. And I was like, I feel like after doing this for a year, just talking to highly successful people and uh, just learning how they look at business, like I should try my hand at this in my own little environment in some way. So, so I think that's, I mean, no, I don't think I, I know that's, that was the reason at that point in time why I decided to start my own business. That's really cool. So now do you keep, uh, I know a big thing for me and a lot of the things that, uh, that I do is, is the team you, you're working at a startup now. Um, how important do you think uh, that aspect is? Cause I, at first, you said at first you kind of were trying to, uh, you didn't involve a lot of people. So then you, yeah, said you sort of lone wolf it a little yeah, bit. Is that something you still do or? or I mean, I do some freelance work on the side. Uh, so I work with other startups doing, setting up their marketing and their sales and, and doing some of their collateral. But uh, so I guess I get some of that lone wolfing out of me in that way. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, surprisingly with startups, what I've found is uh, communication isn't always uh, a strong suit of theirs. Even with their, their tight-knit circle, uh, there's not sometimes the the ceo or, or whoever's in charge isn't reigning in their team effectively or isn't communicating very effectively mm -hmm. uh, or it can be micromanaging and over communicating uh, it's, so it's a it's a tough balance yeah yeah, sure. yeah that's something that you would think would uh be like on a hundred different when especially like with startups that started amongst friends but sometimes it's <laughs> it's not because you know when you when you go from being friends to being business partners it's it's a whole different game and and things change you know like the the communication is not the same oh for sure for sure, for sure. and i, I, I know, completely what, agree with that i, I completely yeah, agree with that been like adam because you're you're like uh starting a company with your with your friends from college right uh-huh. Yeah. So it's, it's been a very interesting dynamic. And I think what my personality, I tend to, uh, I tend to really push on things 
And uh, I'm the type of person where like, if something is not getting done that someone said they're gonna do or, or like we cohesively agreed on, it like just festers inside of me. And I'm like, okay, well, we, we gotta execute on this, right? Um, so for me, it's been really interesting to really learn how to effectively communicate with people. Cause it, it's not as simple as just choosing uh, the laid back approach versus the constants like on you 24 seven approach. You really have to understand how the people on your team work and what makes them tick, right? Like how can you get this guy on your team to, to work well? And how can you get this girl on your team to work well? Because they're how they work uh, well is not going to be the same. And you need to be able to kind of judge that. And it kind of, uh, I guess, I guess play around with it until, until it works. But I'd say at this point in uh, Siron's development, we're, we're definitely better than we were, say, six months ago with, with communication and, and really understanding the dynamic between how people do work well together, you know? For sure. Josh, like, what so about... Josh, uh, uh, no, I, I honestly don't know what Josh does. Like, I've done a little bit of research seeing that you're a filmmaker, you're kind of a creative dude. So I want to hear more about what you do and dive into your world a little bit, man. Yeah, so um, I do a lot of things. Uh, it's funny, the reason that uh, this podcast started was before Cyron was Cyron, I was actually involved in, uh, in working on a startup with uh, Adam that went on to be Cyron. But in that same time, I, uh, so I've always, for like the last five years, I have worked with a company that me and my dad own, Friday Nights Chess. We set up uh, after-school programs, uh, primarily chess clubs. So I've been doing that for a while. Uh, my dad is pretty entrepreneurial, uh, so I've always just had that in me and around me. Uh, and then a year ago, I started uh, a media company as well with a friend of mine, Broke Boy Media, and we do music videos and uh, have online content and things like that. So. At, at my core, I'm just a storyteller, man. That's, uh, that's my passion and that's, that's what I want to do. And I, I love to apply that to, um, to business, you know, and, and I, I want to do my own thing. You know, I think that's uh, what a, lo a lot of the people we talk to on this podcast is that seems to be the, uh, the underlying commonality. And we all just want to do our own thing. And it's interesting to see how everybody does it in their own ways, you know, because it's, is just totally different from person to person. Uh, even though a lot of it's the same idea, there's a lot of different ways to do it, you know? So yeah, mm -hmm. just storyteller, man, is because there's a lot that I could get into, but that would be the, uh, the umbrella term that I would use. No, that's good. There's a market for storytellers out there, honestly. Uh, so where are you at right now? Are you in Indiana as well with around Adam? North yeah, North so Indiana? We just moved, so I just moved back. Um, I was, I've been in Indiana for the last seven years, I, but I was in a town about 40 minutes from Adam for about a year, and then I moved back, and then that's when we started, uh, we started this back up. We're right outside the city, though. We're in Whiting. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the Horseshoe, but it's like 20 minutes from the Loop. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so it's really easy to get down there. I do a lot of work. Uh, well, pre-shut down, I was doing a lot of stuff. In the city that's where i try to get out and do uh do networking i'm, I'm familiar with eight it's 1871 yeah. yeah yeah we went to uh 
they have uh, they had a 1000 cups event over there. Yeah. yeah we went to that so i'm familiar with that space uh and the things that have come out of that right on man that's what's up yeah so so speak speaking of events like that uh jake so we actually met i think i believe it was sometime in november 2019 at that uh what was it what was it called startup what is it, it was, uh it was, it was at a founders institute the work box. yeah oh, it was the work box but it was held by founder founders institute uh they were doing a networking event and uh actually right before we met i had just like gotten into this world of networking this was like a completely different universe to me that one in which i've never delved into at all and i'd say the one that we were together at for the first time was probably the third one I've ever been to, you know? So over that period of time before COVID started uh, shutting down businesses, um, I, I ended up going to a decent amount of networking events and I really saw the value in them. But from your experience, you've probably been going to them for, you know, many more years than I have. What, what would you say your overall experience with networking as a whole has been and some of the positive things that has come out of that? Uh, yeah, I'd say in Chicago, it's a good place for all that. Uh, Chicago is a very social town and there's a lot going on. It's, it's a big city. So there's a little something for everyone. And, uh, there, there are a lot of little events that can actually turn out to be really cool, uh, for, for various reasons, or they're held in some part of town that I don't know, you've never really been to before in some building that is actually super beautiful, it's not a third, but my experience, I guess, I remember, uh, I guess when I first started out of, out of college, my first year, uh, I, the, the president of the company I work for gave me a book about, it's called, it's the Dale Carnegie book. I'm sure you guys have read it. It's like how to, the referral of a lifetime uh, or some, something like that, uh, how to win friends and influence people, okay. something like gotcha. that. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it, I think if I remember correctly, it talks about networking a lot and referrals and, and as a recruiter, which that job was, uh, they always stressed referrals, referrals, referrals and networking. So I'd always go out, man, like at the time I really couldn't understand why people were just kind of giving me the cold shoulder all the time. And it's because, I mean, I was a 22 year old kid. I was a recruiter. Everyone else there was a recruiter with the same dumb speech about hey like let me hook you up with a job at microsoft or, or whatever or this tech company that tech company so uh it just kind of exposed my naivety at that time like looking back but but it also forced me to kind of uh try to gather gain people's attention in other ways uh or, yeah. or like kind of uh, come straight forward with like, Hey, this is the value that it sounds like super, like, like a meat market, but like, what well, this is the value that I'm bringing, but, or like, this mm -hmm. is what I do. And this is like, what do you do? And how can we, uh, help each other in some sort of way? Mm -hmm. uh, I think Chicago, that's a really good area to do that in. Cause it's, there's a lot of entrepreneurs and all sorts of industries here. Uh, a lot of people that just, it's a very, like I said uh, earlier, it's very social. So a lot of people are open to collaboration. I think it's Seattle. It's a lot more closed off. It's a lot more tech focused. So, uh, you know, you're, you, I don't know. They're not as many people looking to 
get together and take over the world. You know, it's, uh, it's right. more like, let's get together and, and go find a cool hiking trail or something like that. So, uh, and then also I think my time in Africa, mingling with people that were in a different, they were kind of just de dealing with a different uh, level in society. You know, the political class, the, like the, the executive class, and uh, seeing how to bring substance to conversations with them. Mm -hmm. uh, it was, a lot of it, I think, went well because uh, you find that those people can be quite charming. That's why they are diplomats and, and dignitaries. And, you know, they're, they're there to build relations between important entities or countries, or organizations, whatever. So uh, it's just kind of, in my 20s, I always tried to treat every interaction as, as some sort of way to learn something. Uh, like when, when I'm in that setting, the networking setting, if I'm at a bar or whatever, it's social. But if it's in a business setting, it's, uh, I try to treat it as a learning experience. Hmm. Interesting. Do you think that's something that has always come natu natural to you? Uh, like the ability to network, meet people? and make friends or is that something that uh you had to learn uh i mean i wouldn't say i was a networker as a teenager or nothing like that i definitely didn't really care like growing up like if, if i guess i went to high school that wasn't a typical high school you see on in the movies and, and shit where uh, the jocks are over here and then the nerds are over here and like you know all these very uh, segregated cliques within yeah. high school everyone kind of mingled with everyone uh, to some degree mm -hmm. so uh, I think I kind of just took that and then as I sort of branched out in the world I uh, always was kind of kept that in practice yeah that's really cool if you can ever get to uh, at some point in your life like a, a something like that like your high school where the lines aren't really drawn too hard in the sand that's a really good experience. Uh, similarly, um, the high school me and Adam went to, uh, it, it was, I, I wouldn't say it was um, everybody talked to everybody, but it was, it was relatively easy. At least in my experience, I, it was easy for me to, uh, to talk to different people. Um, I, I, I always uh, like, I always like that idea and hearing people's thoughts on it because some people just think that extroverts just are automatically good at networking and that introverts are inherently bad at it but uh it's it's just it's just a skill you know it's just something that if you do it you're gonna get better at it and i'm i, I was homeschooled uh up until my senior year so oh, damn yeah i went most of my life not being around people <laughs> but when i i knew i wanted to be around people so it's just i've just always been conscious about every little interaction that I have, you know, how do I make this meaningful, you know, if it's in a social setting, in a business setting or, or what have you. And yeah. I Did you just throw yourself into the defense senior year or was that your mom and dad? Like, all right, well, here's, here's just a total radical change. No, that's, uh, I, I threw myself in. I really wanted to go, um, earlier, uh, I, I lived in Illinois uh, for my first three years of high school and I wanted to go to the high school out there 
but it was it's just for whatever reason it just wasn't working out uh, the way because like I have three other siblings the way I kind of sum it up is imagine like you've got four kids in public school and then all of a sudden one of them wants to be homeschooled it just kind of destroys the whole the, uh, the the whole household if you will but when I moved to Indiana I lived right across the street from the high school nothing needed really to be figured out just to get me enrolled and Mm-hmm. I decided I was like, you know, I I want to be around people, you know, and I want to <laughs> have the experience. Everybody always, uh, when they find that out, the first thing uh, people normally say is like, oh, well, you're so social. I would have never thought you were homeschooled. I'm like, you got to understand. I I grew up my entire life spending 24 hours with two people. My twin sister. I was lucky to have a twin sister, <laughs> uh, and my mom. When I saw another human being. I just wanted to talk to them, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I know everything about these great. two people. Like, right. tell me who's this new person. <laughs> exactly. And yeah, exactly. Josh, I think, I think you make a really good point there that uh, – give me one second. Yeah, we get that. Did you guys get that timer? Yeah, we got 10 minutes before this, before this goes off. But I think, I think you make a really good point there that networking, like, like many different skills, networking is a skill just – if you were introverted your whole life, that doesn't mean that you can't be a successful networker, right? Mm-hmm. And I can definitely relate to that because I would say that on the spectrum of being introverted and extroverted, I'm, I'm far closer to the, the introverted side of things, right? But it wasn't until, you know, I'd say late 2019 where I, I consciously made that decision where I'm like, I need to get better at networking because I see the value in it. Yeah, Josh, you make a really good point there. Uh, I think that it's important for people to realize that just because you may be an introvert uh, doesn't mean that you can't get good at networking. And I think it's important to kind of view networking as a skill. Sure, it may come more naturally to to some people, but that's not to say that you can't get better at it. And I can provide my own experience on that matter. Um, On the spectrum of extroversion and introversion, I'm, I'm far closer to the introverted side of things. And uh, the, the idea of a networking event used to just irk me. I used to hate the idea of them. Like, for example, at college, when we go to, uh, like, what is it? Uh, like, industrial roundtable, like trying to get an internship or job and going to talk to people. Like, I just viewed it as the most fake shit in the entire world. And I hated taking part in it. Um, but that perspective really started to change in my mind and I started to have a paradigm shift I'd say in 2019 and I started to see the value in it and even in some cases once you do get your you can kind of feel your way around a networking event uh, it actually becomes fun in some cases and that's unheard of for someone like me to say so I think it is very important to to really understand that it is a skill and that you can improve on it you know Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't think uh, I don't think that an introvert, uh, and that's why like I always like to have that conversation because I feel like there's just people that think that it's them and they can't do it, you know, which it's not the case. I know plenty of people who would much rather <laughs> be alone that are great to talk to, you know. Mm-hmm. For sure. Have you guys ever been to a bar alone? Uh, I actually had not. I don't think. Have you? Oh yeah. Like What's if that you ever like solo travel. I mean I, I think it was one of the reasons I changed jobs a year ago is because I was traveling a lot 
And, you know, I'd be in these really cool cities, Mexico City, Guadalajara, you know, Panama City. But I'd be alone, man. And and, and I, I've, I've been okay solo traveling. I like solo traveling just for fun. But, like, if you're alone in Mexico City on a Wednesday, like it's, uh, it, it's kind of hard to make friends. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, there's not many places to go. But... Um, when I was when I was younger, in my early twenties, I was it was always a little fun. I don't know, like you just look for a touristy bar and try to strike up a conversation, um, and you know it, it was kind of challenging and, and fun sometimes. Thank mm-hmm. God, old quick. I can I can yeah, definitely that quick, see so. that. Yeah, I, that sounds like something I would really enjoy doing. It because it, it also really depends. I know some people are more like have a higher propensity to like go to a super social setting if they go there with their friends, but it also depends on who those friends are. Because like if I'm there with certain people and I know they are not like as apt to talk to other people uh, as I am, then I feel like I have to rein it in. But if I go to Uh like, if I'm in a place where I know nobody knows me and I'm just by myself, then it just seems like a logical progression. It's like, oh, well, I should probably go talk to somebody here, you know? The only yeah. time I've ever done anything like that, I wasn't really going out to socialize, but I went to a jazz bar uh, by myself, but I was really there for the music. So other than like the people that work there, I wasn't really, uh, I didn't really converse with anybody. And then I'll, obviously they're all there for the music as well. Kind of just- was, it, was that in Chicago? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dude. And, Jazz that sounds that sounds really interesting. I've never been to one of those things. I, I think I'd enjoy that. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I enjoy um, meeting new people though, and just see. And that's again like a, something that I really like about stuff like this. Um, I I love like meeting people uh, online, and now we do this podcast. So, like I get to meet people like you that you know I probably wouldn't uh, have if we did meet it probably wouldn't be for a while or something like that post uh shutdown i'm a big advocate for networking on social media and uh and meeting people through there is that something that you that you use as a tool how how do you uh do you use uh social media as a networking tool a lot um not really uh to be quite honest if we're talking I don't know if I've ever met anyone like first on LinkedIn and then in person. That that would be the only uh, social network that I really uh, reach out to complete strangers on. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's usually people that are, have positions that I want to get to or companies that I want to work at. You know, I'll hit them up, ask them best way to go about things, this and third. Uh, but not, I've not, yeah, off Instagram or nothing. I don't know how, how. What do you use to meet people off? So, what social media do you use to meet people? It looks like Josh is frozen again. Or Josh, are you there? Can you hear me, Jake? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. Well, I can give you an example of something that falls directly in line with this. Actually, today. Um, I was on a call today with some woman from uh, Denver, Colorado, and they, she worked at some like 
I guess you can think of it as like a startup accelerator. And the only reason this phone call happened was because some dude like who's high up at this accelerator got in my DMs on uh, LinkedIn. He's like, Hey, we want to know what your business model is, whatever. Let's, let's talk about it. And, uh, we, we ended up doing that and had a call today. And you know, that, that's something that I would never had if it weren't for social media. Um, and we're actually going to have a call next week because of this, this call that we had today. So I'm just kind of going with it, seeing where, where it flows, what it leads to. But, uh, that to give you like a perspective, like that wouldn't have happened without social media. With that said, I think that if you are going to use social media, you need to definitely use it intentionally. And it can't just be like where you're, uh, scrolling aimlessly getting hooked into the algorithm, having it manipulate your psychology to, to just stay out of the platform. You should definitely have some type of intentionality to it when you are using it, you know? Mm -hmm. Thousand percent. Uh, so what, uh, so as an accelerator, what, what were the next steps for you? It's a, it was a company called Kiwi Tech, which, they they frame themselves kind of as an accelerator they they take equity in your company and they they provide you an investor ecosystem and uh you know guidance and certain measures but th this is an interesting one because i think the the main premise of this uh company was kind of to provide technical guidance and technical assistance let's say if you had an idea for a startup and it's a tech startup, but you're not necessarily a software engineer, then you would go to something like Kiwi Tech, you, you tell them about your business plan, your idea, and they'd say, okay, look, we'll provide, let's say if we think it takes $50,000 of, uh, if it takes $50,000 to pay software engineers to, to build this product, we'll pay the first $25,000, and we're gonna take a percentage equity in the company or whatever, but, uh, you know, and, and we'll give you, uh, we'll introduce you into an investor ecosystem. So, so for us, it, it really, I don't think it makes the most sense since we already have software engineers on our team and we're building everything in-house, but that, that'd be for someone who really doesn't have that. What the huh? is. Still, I mean, that's good. That's cool. You guys are getting noticed a little bit, huh? Yeah. I mean, it, I always get a shit ton of. It, well, the second you put founder on your uh, LinkedIn thing, uh, uh -huh. you, you get a shit ton of people in your DMs. And I'd say like 90% of them are just people trying to be like, hey, let, you know, recruit my development team to, to build your product or recruit my marketing team to sell your product. But I'd say one in every 10 messages, you'll get, you'll get an interesting one and one that can potentially lead to some meaningful relationships, you know? I'm trying to get Josh to join back in right now. Denver, man, I've been, I don't know, there, there's some exciting stuff going on at Aeropay that uh, really? when, it, when we finally launch, I'm going to tell you, it's kind of cool, man. Uh, and so I've had my eye on Denver a little bit. Okay. Seeing what's out there. Plus, I had a couple friends move out there recently, like within, during this whole lockdown thing. Uh, I didn't really know people. Well, I guess people got to move, you know. People got mm -hmm. people got lives to lead and things like that. I I know some girl that used to work at one of my old companies. 
she moved to New York. I thought that was kind of nuts. Interesting. So all this. So how is Aeropage still going about trying to get their service, trying to get merchants to acquire their service in such a time that, you know, is burdened by COVID-19? Because right now there's so many restaurants that are closed down. They're not, they're not even thinking about other mechanisms to accept payment or other mechanisms to, you know, market right now. Right now, many businesses are just trying to stay alive. So how, how has Aeropay kind of adapted in this time to, to still grow as a company? Yeah. Uh, everything you said was completely true. And I think the first couple weeks, honestly, people were in a panic. It's like, how do we get ourselves out of this? Uh, you know, how do we maintain the merchants that we have? How do we, how are we going to acquire more since we can't, it's just because with these main street businesses, it's, it's hard to do business at a distance, right? And a lot mm -hmm. of them are, are salt with people that, you know, their handshake and, and their word is the contract, you know, the hyper, or not hyperbole, but like kind of cliche, but it's very true for a lot of these cities in the Midwest, Chicago mm -hmm. included. And we so that's part of the news that i'm kind of holding on to is is we focus on other industries that um you know that are emerging and and really ripe for uh more development within their payment infrastructure environment mm -hmm. so uh it's exciting i think you know 2020 was already going to be a big year for everyone, I think. Um, and to be honest, this pivot that we're making, I, I wouldn't even really say it's a pivot, but it's kind of just a more concentrated focus uh, into something that we've had our eye on, you know, for, for a while now. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but we finally found the entry into this vertical and, and we're, we're already making some good partnerships and, and just starting out on the ground learning about it you know uh that's it, it's i think uh, we know where we're at we know uh you know how we fit in to this this industry and and we're we're trying to learn and and not uh come in as experts which i think mm -hmm. is is really important and and at the same time it's it's interesting because the, the people that we're working with, our clients, uh, are also learning more about things as well. And, and you know, we can talk about this, you know, in, in a few weeks and, and it'll kind of make more sense. But uh, so we're working on some emerging verticals from emerging industries. Then also we've looked at the nonprofit space as well, mm -hmm. uh, because a lot of them accept online donations, which trans perfectly because we've launched our online payment system uh, that, that processes their transactions at a greatly reduced rate. Uh, we've actually made it free for a lot of nonprofits. We've actually also gotten our first paying clients as well. So, because uh, we're offering a, a greater suite of, of payment options or payment uh, tools. That's big. So, so it's, it's been a good time to focus on things that um, are just a little, little, more evergreen, I guess, a little bit yeah. more geared for so, how the world is going to be now. 
I, I have a question. So you're saying you're, you're starting to get into emerging markets and, and different cities, but how does, how does a, a startup in Chicago with however many employees you guys have, you know, 10 to 20, whatever that is, how, do, how does a startup from Chicago get into an emerging, emerging market, say in Denver, or I don't know, let's look at uh, San Francisco, right? Are you guys actually sending a physical person out there and like trying to, uh, you know, conduct business that way and, and spread the word about Aeropay? Or is this more, is this done more in a strategic manner, like trying to develop strategic partnerships that can then uh, spread the word of Aeropay. How, how are you going about this if you guys are just a little startup in Chicago? Yeah. Uh, well, our CEO has physically gone out to the Bay Area and talked with a lot of VC firms out there. And and I would say a lot of this expansion has come from networking. Uh, is is him going out and, and meeting more people and, and getting connected. On LinkedIn, I know he's a big proponent of of using LinkedIn as a networking tool. Um, and, and eventually we found someone who was just really passionate about uh, um, you know, what we were doing. And, and I don't know his whole story, but I'm pretty sure he had some ins uh, in other parts of the country. He's based out on the West Coast. So it's a whole new network that he has that he's developing for a number of years that and he can get us into so again to the thing that we've been talking about for the past 20 30 minutes networking again the power of networking uh, and and yeah i think participating in a lot of accelerators and and uh conferences and opportunities to to network to speak to to be I'm not going to say be thought leaders, but to show off your expertise and your knowledge within, within your, within your area. Mm -hmm. And people have noticed and people have reached out and people have been able to plug us in in various spaces. Because mm -hmm. that, that's definitely something that my company, Siren, is uh, really, I, I want, I'll say not experienced in, right? Like we're, we're in a very similar space in the sense that we are trying to sell our product, or rather we're trying to get merchants and, and retail locations to adopt our technology, right? We're in a very similar mm -hmm. space in that regard. And uh, I, in the very beginning, you know, you need to go ask people in your hometown, like, hey, we're from Whiting, Indiana. Let's, let's see if we can create some value for your restaurant. You need to do that in the beginning. But one of the things that's very evident to me now is that you can't only solely do that. You need to be going to networking events. If you can, you should participate in an accelerator and a good accelerator if you can get into one and really just try and meet as many people as possible and get your idea in front of the right people. Because, I mean, you've heard the cliche saying, right? Like it's not what you know, it's who you know, you know? So that's kind of that's kind of where we're at as a team. And we really want to place a huge emphasis on getting in front of the right people and talking with the right people moving forward throughout the rest of 2020. Yeah. Gosh. I mean, huh. I think you guys are going about it in, in a good way, you know, starting in your hometown and learning the mechanics of how you sell the product. You're doing some customer service. What do customers like about it initially? And, and giving yourself 
a bit room to to fail or to learn what works, what doesn't work before maybe you go to a bigger market and and you try to get in front of those other people, right? Um, not just people in your hometown and, and really test the idea out, building it from scratch. Uh, you know, you're completely unknown. Like there's no favors being done. It's just uh, you winning a deal on the merit of your of your pitch and on your product's value. For sure. Yeah, and on uh, and on you in the early stages, it's so much more about uh, who uh, who you are as a person, which was something uh, when we we just did a podcast with uh, Arpin. He works at a VC firm. Um, and that was something that he was saying that investors are looking for. They're trying to get into uh, and have a relationship with the people, the the uh, the people that they invest in. You know, because mm-hmm. you're you're early on, so you want to make sure that you're going, getting in with the right people. And I think that uh, I mean everybody has that yeah. experience of. I mean, to build on that, I, I hate to interrupt you, Josh. I don't want to interrupt you, Josh, but I think uh, to build on that point, I want to make sure a good piece of advice I heard is actually kind of funny. I was at an electro bar in Miami with some friends of mine, and I met this guy from Iran, and you know, he came from a very prominent family in, in Iran and, and was kind of had exiled at a very tumultuous time. But like, and, and he was telling me about the various projects that, uh, that he's led like bringing f1 to las vegas and other other ventures that he's he's been a part of and you know if you're a business owner or startup owner what he told me is something i've also heard from other people that are on the vc side or the research side or something like that is that uh, investors they don't necessarily invest in the company or the product or the idea at first i mean that is very important but it's also the CEO, the person that's leading mm-hmm. it. Is this the right person? Because there's going to be times when there are challenges. And it doesn't matter how good your product is. If you have a shitty leader, then uh, it's going to fall to the wayside. So I want to make sure because you're talking about it. We're talking about who you know and you're talking about your VC friend. Uh, so I want to make sure I get that out there. But what else are you about to say? Yeah, I think um, we everybody can relate to that though. Like, uh, even if it's not in business, like we've all had an experience where we had an expectation of another human that did not pan out. And that's why that's so important, you know, uh, whether it's in a personal relationship or a business relationship, nobody likes it when that happens. And that's, a, that's a whole nother skill in of itself. Um, making sure, you know, being able to identify, uh, mm-hmm. those people. So on the, you know, investing side, that's, a, you know, a, as well as uh, networking, that's something you have to de- develop is judging character and, um, and picking, you know, people that you <laughs> want to work with and that are going to mm-hmm. uh, follow through on the things that they say. And then just building off of this, this topic at hand, one thing I recommend to anybody who is embarking on a startup or is even working for a startup like like you in in, a, in Jake's case, um, I recommend reading the book Angel by Jason Calacanis. And that book basically clearly outlines 
what it takes to be a good angel investor. And sure, you can say, well, I'm not an angel investor. Why, why, why do I need to read this? I'm on the other side of things. I'm on the startup side of things. So the, the reason I say this is because in the book, it very clearly outlines what angel investors look for in founders specifically. So you can then take this knowledge. You can say like, okay, angel investors look for founders who are transparent. It's not about necessarily the idea or how good the idea is or how good the tech is. Rather, it's how, how uh, resilient are the founders? What, what kind of people are we dealing with here? Because at the end of the day, people make decisions and negotiations with other people, right? They build relationships. So what you can take from this book is seeing things from the angel investor side, which is dealing with very early stage startups, and then you can, you can apply that to your current situation. And you can say like, wow, man, like it's either gonna be one or two things, right? It's gonna be, wow, my startup does not exhibit the traits that angel investors would like to see, or it's gonna be, okay, you know, our CEO is, uh, he's handling this situation well, that's a good plus. We're working together cohesively as a team, we're all on the same board, we're, we're good at executing on what we're, our mission is, right? You'll be able to get a better gauge on where you are in your startup and what type of founders you guys are. You know what I mean? For sure, for sure. So, what were some of the things that they uh, that this that the author maps out that angel investors look for in founders? So, one, one of the the biggest things that he mapped out was being transparent, right? Like there's, there's nothing worse than a startup like lying about the amount of revenue that they bring in or lying about how much runway they have, right? Because a lot, a lot of startups that may not necessarily be bootstrapping it, they, they may be, uh, have some type of funding already. You don't, you don't want to lead the investor to think that you are in a better situation than you are. You want to be as transparent as possible because the reason that I say this is because when, especially when you're dealing with an angel investor, you are basically, I don't want to say bringing them on your team, but you can effectively think of it as bringing it on your team. They're not going to be working with you in the day to day, but they are going to provide a lot of insights and guidance uh, as a general whole. So they need to know exactly where you're at. You need to be transparent with them and you need to communicate with them frequently. Like, the angel investor is someone who you're going to be going to coffee with once a month or whatever and giving updates like, hey, we've raised our revenues by this percent. Uh, this is where we are. This is some of the problems that we've been experiencing. How, how do you think we should get through this? What, what is your guidance? You know, so, so I'd say transparency is one of the biggest uh, factors in, in being a good founder. Nice. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely agree uh, working with. A lot of a lot of founders are right alongside a lot of founders and CEOs. Uh, transparency. I don't think you're ever going to get. I mean, I don't know. I hate to be cynical, but uh, I don't think you're ever going to get 100% transparency. If there are some things that's got to be kept close to the vest, and and so I think that goes along with managing people too. Is I mean, if you divulge all the information, it's like well. Uh, you're not exactly sure if your employee or whoever you're trying to direct is going to latch on to the right pieces of information. So uh, I think it's part of management too, is, is making sure that 
while maintaining as much transparency as as possible, making sure that you know you're setting uh, clear expectations and like you know this is what this person needs to work on, mm-hmm. you know. For sure. And another key factor is, I mean, this is goes without saying, but the ability to execute and it sounds trivial and you'd think like, obviously you need to execute, but there's a lot of people out there and there's a lot of founders with these grand ideas in their head, but they're just lazy people, right? They, they get, they get, yeah, uh, not for sure. They get drawn into the dopamine that, that gets released in their head of the idea of being an entrepreneur and the, the finished product, if you will. Like, I, I want to be driving the Ferrari. I want to, you know, throw wild parties and, and have this huge network group, right? They get attracted to those things of the entrepreneur, entrepreneurial route, but they aren't willing to put in the hard work and the late nights building a company and actually executing on their plan, right? So, so the founders definitely need to be able to execute well. Yeah, uh, that reminds me of the, uh, this guy, Dan Fleischman. Uh, I believe he's an investor now, but he, he started a couple companies. He had a really big uh, uh, trademark and uh, made a lot of money through an energy drink, but he was on a podcast that I was listening to. He said something really interesting. He said, uh, he gets pitched business ideas all the time from people looking for him to invest. And um, he says, I say no by saying yes. And this blew my mind because he said that people would uh, email him with an idea. And what his response would be was, okay, sounds good. Um, Give what like, give me your business plan, like a, like a formal business plan. And he says he has never, gotten a follow-up email so people have this idea that they need millions of dollars for millions of dollars for but they can't follow through on just writing out a business plan that blew my mind and that speaks a lot to like just a lot of this uh i think there's a little bit of a fad in uh entrepreneurship now everybody i i can't remember what the percentage is but in in the book angel they outline like the percentages of startups that actually like create a product right (laughs) <laughs> and the percentage is shocking. I can't remember exactly what it, what it is, but it's like an extraordinarily high percentage of startups never even get to the point where they have a product. And then of that percentage that have a product, it's a very, very low percentage of startups that actually become successful at different metrics, right? Like what percentage may, gets to a million dollar valuation? Okay, what percentage gets to a hundred billion dollar valuation? And how about unicorns, right? Like. You're, you're dealing with very, very small percentages of people in, uh, in cases like that, you know? Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. I certainly don't know any entrepreneurs throwing crazy parties right now. Uh, <laughs> it's definitely a, a, a grind of a lifestyle. Uh, but what are you going to say, Josh? I was going to ask you, so uh, we know a little bit about what, you, what you've uh, done in the past, what you're doing now. What is, uh, what's the plan looking forward, even in your current position or is there anything that you haven't done yet that you uh that you are still aspiring to accomplish man uh that's been the big question i'm gonna turn 31 in three months actually it's the 20th today so i turned 31 in in three months exactly and i don't know really for the past two years i've been trying to figure out what are my new goals because i set some goals for myself 
when I graduated high school. And for whatever reason, I just thought 30. Like, I want to do all these things before 30. Uh, just, it seemed so far away at that point. And then, mm-hmm. boom, all of a sudden, I actually accomplished a lot of the goals. So I think I kind of manifested them as much of a, uh, you know, basic bitch buzzword that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it, a lot of these dreams I actually realized. So I, I'm in the process still of trying to think of what are my goals for the next few years. Uh, I know this year I wanted to get more in in my freelancing side and, and develop that more and more. This pandemic has sort of thrown a wrench in that. I've actually lost a couple um like contracts, I guess you could say, or agreements that were supposed to come into effect in May. But since they're with small businesses that deal with or that are in the hospitality industry, which is, of course, one more, if not the most affected industry by this whole pandemic, um, you know, there, and understandably, like, I don't know if, if, if marketing and digital marketing is really what we need at this point. And I totally agreed with them. So, uh, I'm I'm trying to set up a good customer success program with Aeropay, you know, prove that, you know, I can do this and really take ownership of that part of the business and treat it as, as my own business and make it succeed. Uh, so there's that. And then also, you know, I'm kind of trying to live like three months at a time, but uh, I think with this whole uh covid everyone working from home working over zoom working remotely you know just working at a distance in general i want to try to live in a different part of the country or the world i was thinking about mexico and guadalajara but i've seen that try there's there might be some border restrictions uh you know there's there's they've been affected with a new wave recently in the past few weeks of people that have been infected so it's like is it safe am i gonna be allowed to how's it gonna look so everything's just kind of up in the air right now it's what's gonna the world gonna look like for the next year i'm I'm just trying to do it like a few months at a time so so we'll see yeah. that's that's the big work goal and and just kind of i think 2020 i've always wanted to be smarter financially and be learn a little bit more about how to improve my life financially pay down my debts uh you know make some good investments i've talked with adam a little bit about the stock market because i know he pays way more attention to it than i do so uh you know he's he's kind of been a go-to source for that yes adam is a is as close, uh, I mean, he's he's damn near my financial advisor at this point. <laughs> but that's good, man. Um, yeah, it's different um, with everything that's going on. Uh, it's yeah, it's weird to even think about goals because it's like you'd have to predicate them on. Uh, it's almost like it'd be uh, uh, hypothetical because we don't know what it's going to look like uh, coming out. So right now, it's just a a, a good good time to stay on your toes. Like you said, you're taking it uh, three months at a time. It's a good time to just kind of stay on your toes and wait for everything to open back up and, and figure it out what, it, you know, where you're going to strike at. Cause it could, it could be something that none of us are thinking uh, right now as far as 
opportunity open up. But and right? this kind of this kind of reminds but, me of uh, what Rahul was talking about uh, with us, and that's basically like in times like this, we we really see like how capable we are to adapt to new situations, right? Like you can get all caught up like, oh, I'm losing money in the stock market or like I might, I might lose my job. Or even if you haven't lost your job, there's still uh, the uncertainty of like, what if I lose my job? And that, that plays on your head, right? But what uh, our friend Rahul was talking about, he's like, yeah, well, he's like, if, uh, if, if things like that happen, if you lose your job, then you're going to have bigger, bigger things to worry about than, you know, what, what stock to invest in or whatever. And basically you'll adapt no matter what situation you're thrown into, you will adapt. And that's what, that's what makes things interesting, especially being human. Um, because that's really what we have going for us. Like any situation that life throws at us, whether it's five years down the line, 10 years down the line, or three months down the line, we're going to be able to navigate through it in some way. And just, just having that self-confidence to navigate through it, I think, I think is important. And, you know, we'll, we'll be able to make it through. This is, this is temporary. Things will go back to normal at some point. And maybe it won't be the same normal, but they'll, it'll become normal, right? So mm. I, I don't think that we need to think like this is the end of the world or something, you know? Yeah, what have you guys be... worked on? Have you guys picked up any new hobbies in this little shutdown? Uh, I skated all through high school and I have taken the opportunity to uh, spend a lot more time skateboarding because <laughs> I can nice. do it by myself uh, and just get out and uh, I'm really excited about that. I'm, in, I'm enjoying getting back into that. What about you? Uh, I don't think I've really picked up any new hobbies. At first I was trying to be like, oh, let me learn a bunch of stuff. Let me take advantage of all this free content, webinars, courses. And then I just kind of got overwhelmed. But I did. I, I I picked up a very easy recipe for making weed infused tea. So I've played around with that the last couple of weeks, and hope I don't know maybe tomorrow I'll make another batch and see if I get some consistency. But it's been I don't know it's been fun to play around with. That seems like a win for quarantine. For <laughs> <laughs> sure. I mean, for it's sure, a respiratory man. disease, so you don't want to be putting any more stress on your lungs. Right. So why not take it as a tea? So what type of flavors of these, these teas are you making? Uh, so I made two so far. I made one. So it's really easy. I'll tell it to you right now. It was fucking simple. So you just boil four cups of water, right? And then you grind up about a gram. And I, I actually measured it out this time. Because at first I was just eyeballing it the first two times. You grind mm -hmm. up about a gram of bud and then you dump it. Or actually before you dump it in the boiling water, you got to put either a tablespoon of coconut oil or I forget how much butter. But I, I always use coconut oil. And so you put coconut oil in it so it melts in the water. Because then that, uh, the, the THC will stick to the oil. And it won't okay. like be soluble in the water. So then after you put in the coconut oil or whatever you throw in the gram of ground up bud and then you boil it for about 15 20 minutes and then you strain it and and serve it it so it takes about 20 25 minutes not even 
And at first I did it with an herbal tea without caffeine. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and it was kind of like, hmm, I got a little, little buzz, you know, I, I felt it, but it's very manageable. It's just very body high. Just feeling very uh, not anxious and happy and all that. And then the second time I did it with green tea and it just kind of hit me a little harder. It stuck with me longer and, uh, but it was still manageable. It was still a good body high. So mm -hmm. now I'm, I've actually measured out a gram on the scale. And so it's going to be a little bit more exact. So we'll see how it works with green tea again. Gotcha. So would you say that the, the feeling is, I mean, it makes sense to me that it would be this case, but I just, just want to make sure you'd say the feeling is closer to an edible rather than uh, smoking it, right? Uh, yeah, I'd say so, for sure. It's, it's definitely, yeah, it's definitely more like an edible with the body highs. Interesting. Yeah, that, that's cool, man. Try it out, um, man. <laughs> yeah, I might have to. Um, yeah, it's just cool to, to see. Recreationally in Indiana, it's actually not legal recreationally in Indiana. I think it might be medically, but I'm not 100 percent sure. I, I think Indiana is going to be one of the last states to to legalize it. But um, you know, yeah, it's just we, interesting we to see people. Just, go on, go on, Josh. Yeah, we literally just uh, have recently had the opportunity to buy alcohol on Sundays. Like there were laws that you couldn't oh, buy really? alcohol on Sundays in Indiana. Uh, you yeah. guys are one of those states. Yeah, that's, that's right. But I, I think it's cool to see people just, you know, doing things they, they really haven't done in, in quite some time and, and getting value out of it. Like, for example, uh, my mom, out of nowhere, like once the quarantine started, for whatever reason, she started like making homemade bread like twice a week, you know? And I've been enjoying that a lot, you know? And that, that's something that's like, you'd never even think to do, or maybe I wouldn't at least think to do, like, let me go make some homemade bread, you know? But it, it's been interesting. And I think, I think that, you know, you and I, and we're not alone in doing uh, things that we, we wouldn't normally do during this time. And whether we keep them up after the quarantine stops, who cares? You know, at least it was, it was an experience. And I think that's pretty cool. Well, I'm glad that you're, uh, you're, uh, finding something to do during the quarantine, staying, staying active. Uh, it sounds like you got a solid, uh, solid head on your shoulders, whatever you do, it just seems like you're going <laughs> to excel at it. I want to thank you for coming on, man. I it was nice meeting you. Great talking to you. Really enjoyed this. Yeah. Likewise. It was good to meet you and it was good to talk to you, Adam, again. Uh, you sure. know, hopefully we can do it in person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll we'll do one of these again. Uh, maybe sometime in the summer, you can come out to my house. All right, guys. All right, guys. Peace, Peace out. All right, thanks again, man. Take care.